everybody. Welcome to this ep- this week's episode of Coastal Voices. On this week's show, I'll be speaking to Kevin Henry from the Halkomelem and Penalatuck First Nations about his work in Indigenous activism and support for the Grace Islet protesters. This and much, much more on this week's episode of Coastal Voices. Hello, everybody. Thank you again for tuning into Coastal Voices. If you have been checking out Coastal Voices recently, you'll hopefully be a little bit informed, at least if I'm doing my job, about the land dispute off the coast of Salt Spring Island on Grace Islet. Rather, Grace Islet is a sacred territory to the Penalecut people, and for over a decade, Edmonton businessman Barry Slosky has been working closely with the BC Archaeological Branch to gain permits for building on this sacred burial site. The islet was zoned as a residential land by the district in 1974, and though it was registered in 1960s as a part of ancient First Nations village, Mr. Slosky was able to buy it in 1990. In 2007, archaeologists unearthed 15 burial cairns, and all this, though this discovery uh, seemed to lend to the Indigenous people's case of the land being sacred territory, the BC Archaeology Branch granted Mr. Slosky permits to build on the island. In the last month or so, the protests over Grace Islet have become increasingly more active as the protesters have taken to kayaks and canoes to form a blockade in front of the islet. They've also been able to reason with the owners of Sleg Lumber and convince them to stop all of the lumber supplies uh, to being sold to Barry Slosky and his land development. Uh, This week, I spoke to Kevin Henry about the implications of stolen Indigenous territory and his career in Indigenous activism. I hope you'll enjoy. Okay, well, my name is Kevin Henry. I'm a registered band member with Connecticut First Nation, and I'm, and I'm Hulkamanum, mm. and my family has been for the last 10,000 years. That territory that you're from is Salt Spring Island territory, where this proposed burial site is. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about the different types of activism and protests that are happening right now on uh, Grace Islet, and maybe explain to everybody 
what's happening in general with this uh, this proposed uh, proposed housing project that is on a burial site. Yeah, I can reach on that a little bit. Uh, there has been some protests that's been taking place right now. There were some people that came out uh, in solidarity with local First Nations and kayaks and, and held a demonstration to protest a uh, developer that is trying to uh, build on a ground that is actually quite sacred to the local people. Uh, and I know that I witnessed a video of Cowichan coming out to start a cleanse as well, uh, to um, pray for the lands and, and start for some healing to happen. Mm. Um, the area is a place where they would um, do ceremony with people that had passed away, um, uh, like predating colonization. There was rituals that would happen that they would be... Uh, actually buried up in the trees, and uh, they would be placed in a hide, uh, and it was believed that their spirit would be closer to Creator that way. Mm. And it wasn't until um, colonization hit with disease that they had started burying them in the ground in, in hopes that the earth would cleanse uh, their ailments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... <clears throat> What is kind of happening with the protesters right now? I know that it is a pretty active site. I know that there's a blockade going on right now. Could you kind of get more in-depth with the type of protests that are happening? Yeah, so they've been been trying to work with different organizations um, and different companies as well. I know that they've gone ahead um, to work with uh, Slag Lumber, and uh, they have decided to not sell the person any wood at all and have sent out a mass letter to their other chains. Uh, and it was recently stated that the security guard that was working um, uh, on the island had actually quit mm. and then walked away. Uh, so there's a lot of uproar with what's going on, and I know that these, these sites are supposed to be uh, protected, and I know I think he bought it for something around $280,000, and uh, when it comes to burial grounds or graveyards, they are supposed to be uh, protected sites to not be sold, uh, like Mm -hmm. what what has happened. Yeah. So I'm not too sure what's going to happen in terms of moving forward as to this being uh, a violation of human rights, Um, and and I guess we'll have to see what's going to happen in terms of the legal ramifications of what's really going to happen uh, with him trying to build this, you know, waterfront-type housing development that's just taking place uh, on this sacred site. For the Indigenous community, uh, how have you seen this effect uh, take place? How have you seen the Indigenous community on Salt Spring Island and, I guess, the supporters uh, reacting to this? Yeah. I've just been kind of coming into awareness of it. I just got back from uh, from the healing walk and then again from the East Open Camp, so I've just been kind of trying to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of reading a bit about it before, and there actually has been strong uh, support in terms of settlers working with First Nations um, to try and help stop the matter here. Uh, and then it seems to have affected me greatly uh, because I, I wrote about it and I talked about it even on Facebook, and some of my friends were saying that 
it's it's pointless for me to be um, fighting for for bones, basically, right? That it's not mm. it's not really anything sacred, um, and I guess that seems to be the case in most of the comments that I've been reading about Grace Island. That it's uh, you know it's just another thing that we're complaining about, um, and that we should just move forward and stuff. But it's the reality that uh, it's sacred for us, and it's. Mm-hmm. even in uh, death, that has to be sacred. Well, yeah, and if anybody were to come to, um, you know, a white cemetery, or predominantly white cemetery, and just try and build a house on it or try and buy it out, I feel like people would be really offended by that and really hurt by that. So I think those comments are really misguided and founded in a lot of racism and a lot of colonial ideas about um, Indigenous folks. Um, yeah, it seems to be what's going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Indigenous peoples trying to fight for something, then it's going to be filled with um, it's more like silent racism. It's just them probing questions and stuff that's actually quite racist and quite stereotypical of the Western world where they don't know those two connections at all. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and I mean, being an activist, you must be used to seeing those comments a lot. Um, has the support from settlers surprised you in this case? I think it surprised me greatly just because it's not something you see too much on the fall, and there's a lot of passive-type behavior that, uh, like even when I searched through I don't know more, there's a lot of people that were just kind of like, oh, we don't want to... We don't want to upset the people. We don't want to upset, you know, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to show uh, a little piece of the culture that we're we're humans, that we're humanistic, and we have human-like qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're seeing what's going again, that this is just, you know, it's 2014, and this is still happening. Uh, and it's something that I know that my family has been fighting for for 30 years, and we're, and we're still fighting for it to be heard. Uh, and to be recognized really as a people, um, more or less as human. And we're ha- we have to just do this all over again. So I was quite surprised um, and quite relieved, I guess, actually, to see that they're actually doing work, that they're actually on the ground uh, and supporting a cause like this. And, yeah, I, I think the outpour of support is just wonderful. Yeah, it really is. Um could you talk a little bit about uh, the type of protests that's taking place? Like we we touched on blockades happening on Salt Spring Island in in the water. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, the idea was for them to go out and kind of block what's going on because they're trying to bring uh, equipment and, and all kinds of lumber and other things. I think most of the island has actually already been developed and destroyed so i'm i'm curious to figure out where we're trying to go with with it next but it looks like they're with the the protest and that they've just been out on the water and, and doing their blockade that way uh which is a very different type of blockade that can be done uh in this region that we can go out onto the water to um you know just to stop that development from taking place Mm-hmm. And it really shows a strong solidarity as well. Mm-hmm. It does. It's. I mean, 
not something you see every day, that's for certain. And um, are you surprised at the amount of mainstream media that is accessing this story? Yeah, I mean, if I can go and Google Greece Island, there's a lot of stuff and a lot of pictures uh, and a lot of different things about what this guy is actually trying to build, this luxurious type. I'm, I'm guessing it must be a summer home. And, mm. and you can type it up, and there's a lot of stuff that have taken place. So I think there is uh, a strong moment to, of seeing our society really move forward in terms of uh, looking to, I don't know if it's to understand. Um, I guess it's really just to believe in what First Nations believe in, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the balance between the spirit world and, and the world that we reside in now. Mm-hmm. And it has always been that. And I think that is the strong opposition that we have faced um, between this government and the old government from colonization. So it's just impeccable that there's a lot of mainstream media about it, that I don't really have to go digging for it, uh, that it's just there and accessible, and anyone can just Google it and kind of follow along with what's going on. Yeah, that's pretty amazing uh, what's happening right now the uprising of Indigenous communities. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your own activism and kind of like what has led you to this point of um, of fighting for Grey Silet. Well, I think it started with my crystal meth addiction, and I used to talk to a lot of youth and attended a lot of youth against violent conferences in Vancouver and looked at harm reduction and bridging parents with their children about um, just being able to talk to each other uh, on a humanistic type level as well. Um, but parents can be quite difficult to try and talk with uh, sensitive issues when people are facing, you know, other issues in their world. And Certainly. they think that drugs is a good resort. And then um, moving forward, it kind of got into the foresting industry and how it they actually deforest an area and it's not sustainable uh, and learned from a lot of um, wise people throughout the years. And then somewhere in there, it kind of moved into the oil industry uh, and opening up my eyes to the whole other industry that I've never really heard of. Uh, and then finding out we have a liquid frac gas pipeline on the island. And then an Aboriginal group had actually sold out to this industry. Uh, and then doing a lot of work um, with Northern Alberta up there in Anzac Territory uh, with the Healing Walk, and then a lot of stuff with Innistoten as well, mm-hmm. um, to learn about how they're resurging and taking back their cultural and inherent rights mm-hmm. uh, to protect their sovereignty. And then, yeah, I guess it got to this point where I'm coming back from all of this again, and, you know, I'm I'm looking at photos of the destruction uh, right now, and it's just uh, incredible. And then, of course, we have the Mount Pauli mine disaster that we have uh, hit an environmental disaster, and mm-hmm. they're not calling it an environmental disaster. And the same can be said for this, but it's just minor, very minor compared to what's going on up there. Mm-hmm. And that for me was a bit of a shock as well, if I could reach on that, because I actually just drove back through there from uh, coming back from Stoughton, uh, and I think I actually swam in Cornell Lake, and now it's destroyed. 
So this is just continually happening that a lot of our lands and waters are being eroded um, through this craziness of just ignoring the real issue that it's just capitalism. And again, we're, I'm facing capitalism again with this little island that's being desecrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are, there are a bunch of people that care, and there are, I, I know there are many more that don't, that are even on my friends list on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So it's just confusing it why is. people truly stand. It's kind of where you find out in these kind of moments. It's very true. That's a very true statement. Um, I wonder if you could go a little bit deeper with what um, the walk of healing is and then maybe touch on your time at the Unistoten camp if you're comfortable with that. Yeah. And so I went to the, the fifth and final healing walk, and it's around the Sinkru tar sand site, and, and it's done in prayer and ceremony for healing uh, of the land to begin. Uh, and the site you witness is quite impeccable because you think you're looking at water when, in fact, it's actually just like a toxic lake. Um, and I, I think I'm going to be looking at doing a talk about it uh, somewhere at the end of this month. Uh, mm-hmm. I think at the BCGU, but everything's still kind of being worked out with it um, to just try and go further in depth to what what kind of emotions was brought up for me because I'm still kind of coming back from it. Because um, mm-hmm. when I got home six days later, I ended up going to the Unistoten Action Camp uh, and faced a bit of um, my own issues going up there um, Culturally, I guess, just uh, trying to research with my own culture as well mm-hmm. and uh, traveling up there and, and not really seeing a lot of people think seriously of what's really going on and how they're really affected. Um, you know, I think the 18 pipelines that affect their community mm-hmm. um, and, and their sovereignty. So it was just, it was just incredibly difficult and a lot of um, questions that were asked to me that were very... Uh, I don't know, like very just white, stereotypical pan-Indian type stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, thinking that I'm from that territory and how things are done. Uh, I think the best humor out of it was that I had some white people actually come up to me and say, well, we want to go down the river, but is it okay to drink the water? And I said, well, have you been drinking from that green container over there by the kitchen? And they said, yeah. And I go, well, that's from the river. And then I walked away. Mm -hmm. And I just left it at that. Because I've, I've, I never have been asked that question, and I was just confused. Um, and I think that was one of the most pinnacle moments for me in my humor type life, because, uh, yeah, it's just like it comes from the river. You, you think they the asked... Water do you feel like they asked you because you're an Indigenous person, um, and that you might have some sort of, like, sacred answer or something? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of people that are asking me how they cut the fish um, in that region. Have and you I cut fish like, before? I, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to as a kid, but not really so much now. Yeah. I don't know um, how to cut especially fish. Especially now it's recapture. What's that? <laughs> I don't know how to cut fish. I'm I'm native. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty common thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think with resurging my culture, I probably don't know how to actually properly cut a fish because mm-hmm. um, I thought you like bonk it on the head and then my elder was like you don't that's inhumane like why would you do such a thing mm-hmm. and I was just like oh and I was just like well, that's how my white friends taught me and she's like well that's their culture mm-hmm. and I was like oh 
but being at this camp and it's not my territory, and I was just like, I, like, I'm not from here. And they're like, oh, we thought you were. And I was like, oh, I guess. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I didn't think these questions were still around, but I mean, I know they are, but you just kind of ignore it. So it's just different. But the camp itself is uh, quite amazing with what they've got going on mm-hmm. uh, and how they're protesting and blockading against these pipelines and the industry and especially liquid fracked gas and uh, their carbon offsets and whatnot that they're trying to raise awareness to. And there's workshops and stuff happening there to uh, engage people on decolonial activities and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's about realizing that uh, it's not personal, right? It's mm-hmm. not anything that's talked about. It's not about them. No. Um, it's just about the mindset of uh, colonization. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a lot of trying to create safe spaces as well. So, mm-hmm. And a well, lot of the workshops try to bridge connections and stuff mm-hmm. with everyone else. I think yeah. it's really uh, important to meet everyone where they're at, Indigenous people and settler folks. And, and um, you know, we're all learning how to unlearn these things that have been ingrained in us in in the way of like colonialism and internalized racism for indigenous folks so it's really important that these activities and um these places where you are able to unlearn those things are an option for people i know a couple of people who went to unistoten this past summer so it's really promising to hear that people are um, active, actively seeking out sovereignty for Indigenous people, especially when yeah, it's Indigenous people. To get back to Grace Islet, you said you weren't really sure what is next uh, in that journey. I wonder if you could muse about what you would like to see happen. Well, I think that's a really big question because mm-hmm. what I would like to see happen is that the land be given back to the local people, but I know in a capitalistic colonial age that that's easy, it's easy for me to say it, but that's harder for them to want to do it because mm-hmm. um, this guy clearly owns this little tiny island, mm-hmm. and that kind of seems to be what goes in this world. Um, so what, what would I like to see happen is that, yeah, simply the land to be returned to them. And, and I guess for a sacred place like this to be made more an awareness that this kind of thing just kind of happens daily, um, mm-hmm. that these kind of places are buried over and turned into cities or parks or roadways or highways, but that's just the reality. And it's crazy that we still have to live in that kind of reality uh, in the article I wrote, I realized that in life or in death, that I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a hard thing to witness, that when I'm buried, will I always be buried there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. And uh, the way that we were buried long ago, I don't think would be a reality today. No. Because you would be buried in a tree as opposed to being buried in the ground. Uh, and cremation is not something that we do. Mm-hmm. in the culture from what I've been learning. Mm-hmm. So it's quite quite scary to just be alive and to think about death and where I will be at that point. Mm-hmm. So these kind of sacred sites have been kind of lost 
through the ages of colonization. It's very true. Uh, and like, yeah, nothing is sacred. Yeah, true. And I mean, this isn't the first time that I remember hearing of uh, remains being moved or being stored improperly. A lot of issues with the remains is that the folks, and it tend to be non-Indigenous folks who don't really understand uh, the value and the sacredness behind having our ancestors' remains. Like years and years ago, uh, the Royal BC Museum found a number of uh, children's bones from Haida Gwaii in their collection, just, you know, just hanging around. And so they gave them back to the Haida people and we brought them brought them home. But, I mean... This is a reoccurring issue, and um, the BC archaeological branch were the ones who granted the uh, the permit so that this man can build on there. So, are you guys have you guys been in talks with the uh, BC archaeological branch at all? No, I'm not too sure if those talks have been created just yet, mm-hmm. but I think that should be something to be looking into as well. Mm-hmm. And to try and get further support as well to raise further awareness mm-hmm. to the matter. Yeah, that's really important. Um, what else is in the works for you in terms of your activism? Is there pe- is there a way that people can hear from you more, um, like a blog or a website, or are you going to be doing any talks or panels anytime soon? Yeah, I wrote an article actually about my idea of the great file. Uh, it's the writing Indian dot wordpress dot com. Mm-hmm. The writing and, Indian and dot wordpress. Entire, yeah, and everything is up there. You can read from anything from uh, I'm waiting for permission um, from Frida and Thomas that I to put up my article up there about my time on uh, on their territory. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then I have stuff on the healing walk and. Uh, the recent one that I just posted on Chris That's fantastic. Thank you, Kevin, so much for speaking to me today. Um, I really value your input in this issue, and I wish you all the best moving yeah. forward. Thank you for hosting me. This was excellent. Yeah, thanks. I hope to keep in touch with you, and always feel free to reach out to Costa Voices if you need uh, to get your opinion across about an issue in our communities. Perfect. Okay, talk to you soon, Kevin. Thanks, good to see you. All right, bye-bye. Hello again, everyone. Thank you uh, for tuning in to Coastal Voices. If you were just tuning in to the show right now, we were just speaking to Kevin Henry about his experiences in Indigenous activism and his feelings about the building on sacred Indigenous territory on Grace Islet. So if you missed that interview, please be sure to check out the link on the Coastal Voices Facebook group page or go straight to the source at soundcloud.com forward slash CFUV. Plenty of great content there. Plenty of cool basement closet sessions and Coastal Voices playlist and Native Waves playlist. So if you missed out any of your favorite shows, go check it out. And um, awesome. Definitely check out Fringe Fest. It's always a good idea. Um, 
Do you guys know about the 1491s? Have you heard this? Uh, I really wanted to play this track for you, and it, it seems so obvious. Um, that and, and it's amazing to me that I haven't played it before. This one's called I'm an Indian Too, and it's a super hilarious track produced by this Native American sketch comedy group called the 1491s. And I was actually surprised to find they're a sketch comedy group because this song is actually such a jam and it's totally worth like putting on your iPhone. Like I hope there's there's more to come from them. But if you haven't seen the video, be sure to check it out on Facebook. It's super duper funny. And um, yeah, this is the 1491s. I'm an Indian too. Do you love it? It's so good. I love it. Uh, gonna get into some news before before we'll get into more music. Unfortunately, the news this week is pretty grim, so that was just a nice precursor to some sad, sad news. Um, but yeah, let's get into it, everybody. Okay, this week in news, as some of you probably know, and most of you probably know if you have ample access to the internet or any other news sources, this week has been incredibly heavy for many people across North America. People in Ferguson, Missouri are protesting police brutality against a black uh, against black youth with a recent murder of a young man named Mike Brown. Protesters are standing on the front lines against police who have been tear-gassing and macing peaceful protesters. As the streets of Ferguson are entrenched with police brutality and people are fighting for their human rights, we often feel helpless to the cause. Uh, as I stand in solidarity with the people protesting in Ferguson, I'm, I'm encouraging everyone to keep up with social media, keep sharing the stories of the protesters and people in Ferguson, P keep sharing the stories of uh, young black folks who are being discriminated against and uh, killed for the color of their skin. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have extra funds, you can access the Mike Brown Memorial Fund at www.gofundme.com forward slash justice for Mike Brown. I'm going to share that link and a number of other links where you can uh, support people who are protesting in Ferguson because uh, right now they're lacking access to uh, basic basic human needs like food and water and kids aren't able to go to school. So. Uh, there has been a number of little GoFundMe pages and stuff set up for these people to help support them. And I will link those and any other resources I can find to help the people of Ferguson in their fight for justice for Mike Brown. Uh, it'll be on my Facebook group, Coastal Voices. And if you have uh, any other ways to support, please let me know. Please let me know through uh, Twitter, at Twitter, or... <laughs> At Sasha Ouellette is my Twitter handle. Or you can email me at cfvina at uvic.ca. I know this program isn't, uh, I mean, is about like indigenous in issues typically within Canada. But I feel like this issue, uh, it's kind of, you know, close to home, really close to home happening in North America, happening to our brothers and sisters and it's not being reported about enough in uh, in a good way and anything we can do to support the community members in Ferguson is an act of solidarity. In Canadian news, uh, this week in Winnipeg, Tina Fontaine, a 15-year-old Indigenous girl, uh, her body was found in Manitoba's Red River. Tina was last seen August 8th and was reported missing the following day. This is the latest in a number 
of murdered and missing Indigenous women, and it's incredibly heart-wrenching to see these deaths persist without any action or inquiry from our own government. My heart goes out to Tina's loved ones and family during this tragic, tragic time, and if you happen to be in or near Winnipeg, an alliance of community members and leaders will walk today. Tuesday, August 19th, that's today, beginning at 7 p.m. at the Alexander Docks uh, to peacefully take back the streets in honor of Tina Fontaine, who is a young Sakink woman who was reported missing August 9th and her remains were found uh, this Monday. Uh, Tina was in the care of Child and Family Services at the time of her disappearance and she was a daughter to all of us and represents both the ongoing epidemic of missing and murdered Aboriginal women and girls in Canada and what's more, the neglect shown by the governments to fully, substantively confront this issue in an actionable way. The public is invited to a peaceful assembly at the Alexander Docks at 7 p.m., where a moment of silence and reflection will be held. Afterwards, all are invited to a peaceful walk to Alexander Avenue uh, to Lily, turning left until they go to Market Ave and they'll be walking through town um, with a procession at the Udena Circle, which there was recently installed a monument for missing and murdered Indigenous women and they'll be offering gifts and medicine, which were made in spirit of unity and change. There will be maps for every walker and this is also an event to honour the memory of Farron Hall, a Dakota TP member of the Winnipeg Aboriginal community who is best known for bravely rescuing two people on two separate occasions from the Red River. His remains were also found on Monday, August 18th. Farron is a hero to many and he was given awards for his courage. Afterwards, there will be a vigil, vigil at Udina Circle for everyone. And uh, once again, my heart goes out to those in the Winnipeg Indigenous community today. Tina's family and Farron's family and uh, and loved ones, I'm so sorry to you. And I really hope that if anything comes of this, it's that direct action is taken in taking care of the issue at hand uh, that is the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women and people. Um, a group of Tolton elders have set up a roadblock between Deese Lake and Telegraph Creek on Highway 51 to keep people from moose hunting in their territory. This action is a response of what the Tolton Band Chief, Councillor Terry Brown, says uh, amounts to unregulated hunting on Tolton traditional territory. Highway 51 is considered provincial highway, but the Tolton saying are saying it is a private road, uh, not within the authority of the province. And uh, with immediate effect, the Tolton members, the Tolton are asking members of the public wishing to traverse the road to abstain, um, obtain permission from the band. So all you have to do is ask. All members of the public do not receive permission that do not receive permission, you might be, you might be stopped, Parti- particularly uh, non-Tolton, non-Indigenous hunters uh, from trespassing on the reserve lands and using the road. A Tolton uh, press release just issued that this morning, and um, I feel like that's not hard, you know, ask, to, ask the elders to be on the territory if you have to drive through it. Um, this is something that is you know, preserving the territory of uh, Indigenous folks, and that's that's really important. 
Um, that's it for news today. Unfortunately, the news is incredibly grim this week as we continue to fight for basic human rights as Indigenous and people of color uh, continue to be treated as subhuman. I encourage any Indigenous person or a per- person of color who wishes their voice to be heard to reach out to me here at CFUV. Um, tell me your story. Tell this, your story yourself on air. Uh, get involved here at CFUV and... Um, you know, be the change you want to see. Uh, you can reach me at cfuvina at uvic.ca or find me on Coastal Voices Facebook group. Um, we're going to get into some Buffy St. Marie uh, that's been remixed, chopped and screwed by uh, Skookum Sound System. And if you've been lucky enough to see them, you know Skookum puts on a great show. They're wonderful. Hoping hoping that they'll come out with a full-length album soon because I could jam to them every day. This is Skookum Sound System coming out of Vancouver Territories. This is uh, Buffy St. Marie's track. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That, once again, is Skookum Sound System with Vampire Slayer. It's a Buffy St. Marie remix. Super awesome. Kind of part of the song, though, is it's a very visual thing. It's like a video. It's a whole thing. That's what Skookum Sound System do. They're a really amazing team of, uh, I believe, three folks uh, from different nations on the mainland. Um, In announcements for this week, we're having auditions on August 26th from 3 p.m. A group of students from UVic are having auditions from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. August 27th and 26th. Um, And it's at the UVic Fine Arts Building in FIA 209, casting for a multicultural short comedy short film production, Ollie and Emma from Pogson Productions Limited. There are two lead roles, four supporting roles that we need to cast for. Uh, Please uh, check out the character breakdowns on the Coastal Voices Facebook page. And uh, if you're interested in coming out uh, to audition for any of the roles, get in touch with Tom Pogson or Mia Golden ASAP so they can add your names to the schedule. Drop-ins are okay, but you may have to wait for your turn as those uh, pre-scheduled get first dibs on the readings they'll be videotaping the auditions and uh again please message tom or mia golden if you have any questions again i put that posting on my facebook page if you're lucky enough to have me as a friend or it is also on the coastal voices facebook page uh in other news the native pop festival is coming right up that's uh next week 29th through to 31st i believe and they're looking for volunteers so you can join the movement volunteer for the second annual native hip-hop festival and you can email native hip-hop festival at gmail.com hashtag this at nhhf 2014 pass it on let everybody know get into it uh that's about it for me i'm going to get into a couple more songs i want to dedicate this song uh don't cry my daughter to the family of tina fontaine who tragically passed away this week um please keep uh keep talking about what's happening check out it ends here because there's a lot of really great support and the native youth sexual health network uh for support if if you need it um anyways this is flying down thunder don't cry my daughter and uh thank you for tuning into coastal voices once again that was don't cry my daughter by uh 
Flying Down Thunder and Rose Ashen from their album North Wind. Up next is uh, Straight No Chaser, as always, and uh, that should be a fun time. I'm going to leave you with Polisa. This song's called Amongster, and this is from my girl D. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, again, I'll be here next week. I'm interviewing Tanya Tagak. What, what an honor. What an amazing uh, Inuit woman, and she's just so rad. I'm so stoked to interview her, and I really hope you all are able to make it for that. And uh, also check it, check out DJ January's interview with her, uh, which will be up tomorrow. It's going to be a good one. Anyways, uh, thank you again for tuning in. Here's some messages, and then Polisa. <laughs>